Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 145. hundred and forty-five. Recently, I was watching a very fascinating video. I hope to show it here in some context. Uh, it was a video called, Is Genesis History? And at one point in this video, they talked about paradigms and the important role that paradigms have in how we interpret information and data. It uh, uh, and how we interpret, in this case, the history of how we got here. So a paradigm is the framework through which we interpret things. We all have paradigms. None of us examine facts and information in a vacuum. We all bring assumptions. We bring different ways of thinking. We bring biases into how we interpret Facts, information, paradigms. So, for instance, one example they used is the example of the Grand Canyon. An evolutionist looks at the Grand Canyon and might say something like, look what a little bit of water over a long period of time can do. A creationist looks at the Grand Canyon and says, look what a lot of water over a short period of time can do. Paradigm. They're looking at the same information, the same evidence, but they have a different framework for interpreting that evidence. Now, there are paradigms that are not a matter of right or wrong. Our personalities build certain frameworks just naturally into us. So, for instance, an optimist sees through a glass half full paradigm. A pessimist sees through a glass half-empty paradigm. They're looking at the same glass, same amount of liquid. Both are right, but their paradigms, in this case the personality tendencies, give them a different framework for interpreting that glass with liquid. So there are paradigms that are not a matter of right or wrong, but there are paradigms that are a matter of right or wrong. And if we have paradigms that are wrong and our assumptions are wrong, it's going to lead us to wrong conclusions. A man began to suspect that his wife was losing her hearing. And so one day he walks into the living room and she is sitting with her back to him. And he decides to confirm his suspicions. So he just whispers, can you hear me? She doesn't move, she doesn't say anything. So he gets a little closer and he says, can you hear me? Still nothing, even closer. He says, can you hear me? Nothing. Now he's right behind her and in a half whisper, half voice, he says, honey, can you hear me now? And she turns around, she says, for the fourth time, yes. If our paradigms are off, our conclusions are going to be off. So it's really healthy to occasionally examine our paradigms every now and then and say, is my paradigm for interpreting the world around me, how I interpret this world I live in, are my paradigms for how I interpret my life, my circumstances, my relationships, 
right and wrong? Are they healthy? Most importantly, are my paradigms for interpreting all of this biblical? Are my paradigms for interpreting life God-centered? And so with that, and in case you haven't figured this out already, paradigm is my favorite word this month. So I've titled the message, The Paradigm of Praise. Because we can't go wrong when we have a firm conviction that God is good. When we have a firm conviction that God is worthy of my praise. Come what may, I will praise the Lord. A paradigm of praise. And that is clearly David's paradigm as he writes Psalm 145. So what we're going to do is kind of go through it a few verses at a time and as he unpacks this, this paradigm, this framework of praising God. Let's begin by reading the first two verses. And actually, before we do that, let's pray and just ask God's blessing on this time in His Holy Word. So Lord, we thank You that You are worthy of praise. We sang songs of praise this morning. We gave You praise and give You praise for the beautiful sacrament of communion that symbolizes the, the awesome sacrifice of our Savior. And we give You praise, Lord. So, Lord, what I ask now this morning, Lord, we've all come in here with paradigms, with attitudes, with assumptions, with ways of thinking. But, Lord, we ask You to challenge those things and specifically to raise those paradigms so that we see the goodness and the praiseworthiness of our God. So that the biggest thing we see as we go through Your Word and in our hearts ringing in our hearts and ringing in our minds is the greatness and the glory of our God. We ask, Holy Spirit, You give us a glimpse, an echo, a joy that comes from seeing our God is worthy of our praise. And we give You the glory this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 145, beginning in verse 1. We're just going to read the first two verses now. David writes this, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. I will extol you. That is resolution. It doesn't say, if I feel like it, or on a good day. He says, I will I'm resolved. I will praise you, God. And in case, and I love the way, I love the way David just so monopolizes time that he doesn't allow even a shoehorn of non-praise to get into his life. He says, every day, every single day, I will praise you. And then he says, forever and ever. So not even forever. Forever is... Forever. But he's not content saying forever. He says forever and ever. Twice he says that. Every day, forever and ever, I will praise you. I love the fact that, first of all, David has this knowledge that he's going to be forever. I love that fact. That eternal life knowledge that David has. But I also love that he knows I'm going to praise God forever and ever. 
And in verses 3 through 21, he tells us why. He tells us why. And he begins with God's great greatness. God is great. Verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. David underlines God's greatness three times in one verse. Why do we praise God? Because he is great. Because he is great. The Bible says, David says, we're going to praise God forever. You read Revelation, and you see, we praise God forever, for eternity. And an honest question might be, won't that get boring? Won't it get boring to praise God? I mean, after a while, let's give it a few thousand years, but after a while, won't it feel repetitive to be Praising God? What David says is, and what what the Bible tells us, God is so great. His greatness is unsearchable. We will spend eternity searching out all aspects of God's greatness, and forever and ever and ever, we will never get to the bottom of it. There will always be new and exciting and amazing things we will discover about God's greatness. Forever. 15 billion years from now, we'll be saying, wow, I didn't have any idea that God was that great in that way. We will spend forever. And we will be amazed. Verse 4, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I wanted to say something about praise. And that is this. God created us with a a love to praise. We love to praise. You love to praise. I love to praise. That's not in question. The question is what we love to praise. But we love to praise. You go to see a movie and you enjoy it. You want to tell people, man, I love that movie. If there's an athlete you admire, you want to brag on them. I'm, you know, it's, you just want to say, you know, this guy is not only a great athlete, but they're a great person. I heard they gave this to charity or they did. You just want to brag. And I, when you love somebody, you want to tell people how wonderful they are. We love to praise. God created us with a desire to praise. But all those things, and they're wonderful things, but they're echoes of the, the God created us to praise more than anything the greatest and most praiseworthy being in the universe, and that is God. So we love to praise. C.S. Lewis observed that praise not only expresses our enjoyment, it completes it. When we see something we love, we don't just praise it because it's expressing that we love it. We praise it because it completes our enjoyment of it. The more we see how great God is, the more we want not only to praise Him, we want to pass that praise on to others. One generation commending Him to another. One generation lighting the fuse of how great God is to the next generation so they burn with a desire to praise God as well. We want to light that fuse. In fact, that is the mission that we have as a church and parents, we have as parents to want to pass on the praise of God to the next generation 
so they praise God, but also so that they pass on the praise of God to the next generation because He truly is great. David then begins to unpack some of that unsearchable greatness that we praise God for. And we're not going to be able to be exhaustive, but we're just going to run through these uh, and look at them briefly. We see God's great splendor. Verse 5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. That word splendor means grandeur and bigness. It's just big, grand. The splendor of God. The glory of God. The other night I was driving home and there was uh, a thunderstorm. No surprise there. And uh, as I'm driving home, the clouds, not just a cloud, but the whole of the clouds were lighting up in this majestic lightning. And it was constant. It was splendorous. It was a little scary. There's something about big. We see splendor in that. But God's splendor is so much bigger than that. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. That word declare is actually an accounting word. It, it means to recount or to number. The heavens are numbering the splendor of God. The, the glory of God. We live in the Milky Way. The Milky Way consists of some 400 billion stars and is 100,000 light years in width. Now that's big, amen? That's big. 400 billion stars like our sun. But scientists estimate there are, estimate there are 2 trillion galaxies each of them with hundreds of billions of stars in them. And, and when we see and think of that, and, and obviously we're not even beginning to grasp that, but that's about as close to infinity as we can even possibly imagine. And to God, it's just the work of His fingertips. Didn't even break a sweat. When he created all that, the galaxies. It's just a small accounting of the splendor of God. The God who spoke it into existence. God's praise him for his splendor. Praise him also for his great goodness. Verse 8. Through 10, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. In these verses, we move from the splendor and majesty of God to the goodness of God. God is great and God is good. 
And that's a part of His greatness. It's not just God's size and His power that are infinitely great. It's also His heart that is infinitely great because it is infinitely good. You know, I think a lot of people, a lot of people think of God as angry most of the time. Smoldering with anger, with the word we call, that the Bible uses is wrath, which is intense anger. It's, it's intense anger. <clears throat> and a lot of, I think a lot of people live in the conception that God is just like looking for a reason to pour out that wrath and anger. Some years ago, I tried to help a couple where the husband had a very serious problem with explosive rage, and he knew it. But when it exploded, there was no controlling it. He was out of control. Thankfully, he never got physical, but he would scream in rage, yell in rage. One time I was over there, and I could physically feel the waves of violence coming from his mouth as he was screaming. So, so devastating. Now, to be sure, the Bible tells us that God has righteous wrath. God knows what it is to be angry. Sin makes God angry. God's wrath is not like that husband's wrath. It's never out of control. God is never out of control. He never flies off the handle. His wrath is always perfectly combined and perfectly proportioned with His love. But I want you to notice something else. It's not only in this psalm, but it's throughout Scripture. Is that when we look at the ratio of God's heart... Anger's in a different place. It's there, but it's in a different place in the ratio, in the nature of God. God's heart is full of grace. Full of mercy. Full of love. But then David gets to anger and he doesn't say, and God's heart is full of anger. He doesn't say that. He says God's heart is slow to anger. God is quick to love, quick to show compassion, quick to pour out grace, quick to pour out mercy. He is slow to pour out wrath. He doesn't want to pour out His anger. He has a long fuse and a slow fuse. And He does everything He can to make it possible that He not have to. He gives time. Jesus made it, praise God for this, possible for everyone who trusts in Him to never, ever experience the wrath of God. If Jesus is your Savior, if Christ is your Savior, you will never experience the wrath of God. You won't. All that wrath has already been poured out upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And there's no, Jesus, God didn't save some wrath for you. So as His children, yes, He can be 
disappointed with choices we make. He can say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to discipline you, son. I'm going to discipline you, daughter, because I love you. But you know what? He will never turn in your direction is His wrath. Because Jesus already absorbed it all for our sins. Is that worthy of praising God for? That is worthy of praising God. We see also God's great kingdom. Verse 11, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works. We don't talk about kingdoms that much, but the fact is earthly kingdoms and governments ebb and flow. We need governments. But sometimes we need less government. Amen. (laughs) Governments can be a huge problem. And eventually governments, even good governments, will become corrupted to some degree. When governments are good on earth, they're still not perfect. When governments go bad, they devastate. They spread misery, murder, agony in their wake. Think of Cuba right now and the suffering and pain that's going on there. Think of China where millions of people have disappeared for the crime of disagreeing with the government. And that has gone on throughout history. Things like that. God's given us governments, and there are good governments, and there are horrible governments. But there are no perfect governments on this earth, but God's kingdom, His governing, is perfect. God's kingdom is infinite in scope. His kingdom is everywhere, and it's forever. And so it's bigger than big. And it's infinite in power. So infinite in scope, everywhere, all the time, infinite in power, nothing he can't do. You know that saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely? Not true of God. Thank God. Thank God he is not corrupt. He is great and good, and his kingdom is everlasting. Because while earthly governments ebb and flow, improve, get worse, his kingdom is always perfect. No mismanagement. Nothing out of place. No exploitation or abuse of anybody. All his subjects perfectly happy, perfectly joyful, perfectly fulfilled, perfectly being used, perfectly loved. And I love how he he ends this conversation about kingdoms by saying the Lord is faithful and kind. He is an awesome leader because he leads with faithfulness. You don't get forgotten. And he leaves with kindness. He's never harsh and cruel. How beautiful it is that Jesus came to make a way for us to enter the kingdom of God. Colossians tells us in chapter 1 that He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We have been transferred from the worst kingdom we could ever imagine to the greatest kingdom we could ever imagine all through Jesus Christ. And that is another reason to praise God. We also see God's great care for the needy. Verses 14-18. through 18. 
The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. I like to think of this as the greatness on the other end of the spectrum. That the one from flinging out galaxies to caring for the smallest and the neediest in His creation. You'll see that in Job as God comes along and says, okay guys, I'm going to straighten you out a little bit. And then He talks about who, who created, who set the earth on a foundation, who set the boundaries for the ocean, who names and numbers the lightning bolts, and they come and they say, can I flash now? He, he controls everything. And then He says, who cares for the, for the dough? as it's giving birth to the fawn. Who feeds this? Who cares for that? His greatness is not only in the, the scope of big things, but also His greatness is in the scope of the smallest things. Never think that your need is too small for God to care about. Never think that your situation or your... He knows you by name like we talked about last week. He knows your name. And He knows your situation. And He cares with kindness and caring about you. He lifts up the falling. He feeds the hungry. He draws near to those who call on Him. Don't ever think the Lord doesn't hear. When we call upon the Lord, He hears. Sometimes He doesn't answer the way we want Him to. Sometimes He doesn't answer in the time we want Him to. But don't ever be like that husband and think that God is losing His hearing. He hears you every time. He cares about the smallest things in our lives. When we get that, it changes our framework for interpreting trials. It changes the framework of how we interpret hard things. They can still seem big, but we begin to see that God is much bigger than them. Finally, we praise God for His great salvation. Verse 19 to the end of the chapter. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him. But all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. The Bible is the story of God saving people. The wicked are those who reject that free salvation. It's not... The wicked are people who just don't live up to God's standards. None of us do that. The wicked are those who deliberately say, I don't want mercy. I don't want God. I don't want Jesus. But the story of the Bible is a story of saving people. 
And I think sometimes we use that word save so much it can lose some of its potency for us. <clears throat> I read recently about a, a mother and her son who were swimming off the coast of North Carolina and the currents began to take them away. And before long, they were so far out to sea and, and helpless against the currents. <clears throat> there happened to be a young man who had been swimming was about to go in when he saw a mother and her son out further out and he swam out to them he asked are you okay they said no we're not by the time he got to the mom the son was already 15 feet away the current sweeping him even further out he gave the mom his bodyboard and he swam to the boy got the boy his lifeguard training kicked in got him to that bodyboard and eventually they were able to make it back to shore. She said, God sent him to save us. Now, if you were that mom or you were a dad in that situation, you would feel the weight. You would feel the joy that when you thought you were going to die and even more tragically, your child was going to die, someone saved you. Someone saved them. And the trajectory, rather than ending, would continue of life. Jesus came to save us. Not to condemn us, <clears throat> but to save us. We were drowning in our sin, and Jesus came to save us. And for all of eternity, we will feel the depth, the weight, the gratitude of being saved from eternal death onto eternal life. The paradigm of praise. It is seeing and interpreting everything in life through the framework that God is worthy of our praise. God is good. <clears throat> now as we wrap up, I want to share a quick thought on the importance of expressing praise. <clears throat> and I do this because the Hebrews seem to think it important. The Hebrew language has seven words for the word praise. Psalm 145 includes four of these words. All of these words express praise in a different way, and they all include and involve physical expression. Some of us might not be naturally expressive. Some of us are more so, but... It's biblical for us to seek to grow in our biblical expression of praise and worship to God. And so we can express praise by singing to Hila. We did that earlier. And we're going to do that in just a moment or two. <clears throat> we can express praise to God sometimes by being exuberant, halal. We get the word hilarious. It actually can mean to be foolish in your exuberance for God. We can praise God with a loud voice, Shabbat. We can praise God with an instrument, Zamar. We can express God by kneeling, Barak. So sometimes it's not loud and dancing. Sometimes it's quiet, kneeling before God to praise Him. <clears throat> and we can praise God, express God to pray, or express praise to God by raising our hands to Him, Yada. 
Now, some of you, raising your hands in praise of God is natural, but some of you, that would be very uncomfortable, but it's biblical. It's a symbol of surrendering, of lifting up God and surrendering to Him. In fact, the opposite in the lexicon of the word yada means to wring your hands. So we're either going to lift our hands in praise to God or we're going to be wringing them in worry. What am I going to do? So if it's difficult... For you to do some of these things, I once heard a, a Presbyterian pastor share about a man who was walking in the city when a would-be mugger came up behind him, stuck a gun in his bag, and said, stick him up. And the man cried out, I can't. I'm a Presbyterian. <laughs> so maybe raising your hands to God is like, you know, try this. You know, there's always the uh, like undercover, you know. Here's the thing. It's not about what people see. There's something about engaging our bodies in praise to God that magnifies that praise in our hearts and expresses that praise. You know, I mean, and and we see this all in life. You know, you can't say, you know, honey, I told you I loved you 50 years ago. If it changes, I'll let you know. You got to express it. Express it. Nobody's going to be judging. But let's do seek to grow in our personal expression of praise. I want to call the band up because we're going to close by singing praise, a song of praise to God. Choosing the paradigm of praise excuse me, means we see and interpret life through a framework that doesn't deny the challenges we face, doesn't, uh, isn't afraid to be honest. We're going through a hard time. We're not afraid to be honest. Last week I mentioned how I'd said, you know, when someone says, how are you doing? I said, I tend to say I'm doing good without really looking deeply. Well, then, you know, afterwards, every time I see somebody, it's like, hey, how are you doing? It's like, what do I say? <laughs> I'm doing good. We get self-conscious. Okay, so don't be afraid now. I can't say I'm going through a hard time because I need to praise God. That's not what this is about. We're not afraid to be honest about challenges, going through a hard time. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're not denying the heartache and the suffering that's going on in the world around us. Here's what we see. We see those things as big. We see God as bigger. That's the difference. We see God as bigger. Praising God is not about denying reality. It's about seeing God as the biggest and the best reality. That's what it's about. And praising God gives our soul a buoyancy when things are going really bad. And it gives us our soul a humility when things are going really good. So God is worthy of our praise. Let's choose the paradigm of praise. Let's stand together. And as we were singing this song, I realized, you know, there could be, well could be someone who's in a a really pressing time, a really hard time, maybe a sad time. And I think there's an important dimension about praise that if that's you and you're in that time that you need to know. As we took communion, I shared from Job. And I talked about the the things that the Lord's taken away from us like sin and guilt. But when Job said the Lord gives and the Lord has taken away, praise be the name of the Lord. 
he had just lost everything dear to him. I don't think that was an exuberant Hillel type praise. It was a sacrifice of praise. It was the ability to say that even though right now everything seems so lost, so grievous, I will praise the Lord. Sometimes we praise Him with tears as we believe that He is good when we don't see the good around us. And I think that's sometimes the most precious of praises to God. We praise God because He is worthy of our praise and He is truly great. Father, we thank You for what a wonderful God You are. We as Your creation and we as Your children thank You we thank you, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is our beloved. He is everything to us. Lord, I pray as we leave uh, this place that, and face this week, we will do it with a song of praise in our hearts. We will praise you. We will see your glory. We will be mindful of your greatness. We will choose to see life through a framework, a paradigm of praise. Giving you glory. And Lord, as we do that, we also look forward to the great things that you're going to do, and we want to tell the next generation about them. Help us light some fuses, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I just want to let you know, we have pizza coming in about 20 minutes. So I hope you can stick around. If we can get some of the guys and gals to help us move the back half of the chairs away and we'll set up some tables and um yeah we're going to do it inside so hope you can stay if not uh have a great week and the lord bless you father bless this food we pray that we're going to eat in jesus name amen <laughs>